Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 before we go to Galatians chapter 5 to finish that chapter. I want to read to you a few verses from this chapter that are a commentary by the Holy Spirit upon Galatians chapter 5. We cannot be too thankful that God has put in our hearts a love of the truth and a love of the Bible and a craving to understand its every word and to practice it. Most so-called Christians do not have that love or that desire or that craving. And it is not that we are better than they. And I have said this before and I still believe it. If the truth be told, we may be worse than they in the corruption of our own hearts. And that's how we ought to look at it. But God has been very merciful to us. It is by His choice and His grace and the work of His Spirit that we have any of that love for the truth. And it is a great blessing. If you have any desire for the Word of God to be opened right now and to really want to hear it and learn it and to put it into practice in your life, that comes from heaven. Let me tell you, it's not inside you. There is nothing inside you that wants the Word of God as we're about to read. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. How can I know that I have the Spirit of Christ? How can I know that I no longer am in condemnation? You have in verse 1 and verse 4 a descriptive statement of those who are delivered from condemnation. They walk after the Spirit. They do not walk after the flesh. What is the flesh? It's what you're born with and it's what's on television. If you think, talk, and act that way, you are not going to heaven. But by the grace of God, doing a miracle with one of His rebellious children, because the flesh shows that you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you. If you had the Spirit of Christ in you, you could not be content thinking, talking, and living the way Hollywood thinks, talks, and lives, and everyone else on your street. 
it, the description is there in verse 1 and in verse 4, the last part of each verse. Those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, they are the sons of God. And let me tell you something about the difference. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. Right. It's, it's death in so many ways it'd take a sermon. And, and the Spirit is life and peace. Yeah. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know, to live a godly life has promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. There's more than one life and there's more than one death. You can look at certain faces and see that they're dead. You can listen to their words and hear that they're dead. You can see their lives and they're dead. They're dead. This life is unfulfilling to them. And then there are others with life and peace. And the difference is being carnally minded or spiritually minded. It's walking after the flesh or after the Spirit. And it's a daily struggle for every single one of us. It was a daily struggle for Paul. It was a daily struggle for David. And that's why we need this church. We must come inside the safety of these walls and remind each other one more time that we must walk after the Spirit, in the Spirit, by the Spirit, for the Spirit, instead of after the flesh or to be carnally minded. We must lift our minds right now out of the cesspool of this world and lift it up into heaven and think on our reigning prince that is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high and, and fall at his knees and worship him and praise him and love him and adore him and say, what do you want me to do with my life? And then I'll give you the answer. It's in the Bible. It's in Galatians 5, and I think it's time to turn there. It's in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. If in your heart you are able to fall to your knees at the feet of the reigning King of the universe, the Prince of Peace, the King of Glory, the Lord of Lords, the blessed and only potentate, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. All of these are but a few of the titles of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you fall before Him and say, What can I do to please Thee? O Lord, or as Paul said, Lord, what wilt Thou have me to do? It's right here in Galatians 5, 19 through 25. And verse 26, which is a, a little change of pace, but we'll get all these verses, the Lord willing. We do not need to be long this morning. We are going to shorten and accelerate our services today for good reason. I have a tired congregation. And for those of you that are tired in spiritual exercises of loving your brethren and praying for us in our absence, it's justifiable. And I commend you for that. But let's go to the Word of God quickly. I hope that everyone here wants to know that they walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. They want to know that. They want to do that. Because that's the evidence that you are a son of God. That's the evidence that you have the Spirit of Christ. Because if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. Did you hear him? Did you hear the Apostle write that? If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of His. How do you tell? What do they think, talk, and do? If they think, talk, and do what the world does, they do not have the Spirit of Christ. You say, but are, are there exceptions once in a while that there's a carnal Christian? We don't deal with... Did you see Paul dealing with the exception of carnal Christians in that passage? Or was he just pretty flat out strong that those who are not under condemnation walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh? Right. We'll deal with exceptions in their time and place. You say, well, right now I'm a carnal Christian. You know what? I have one word to say to you. Repent! Amen. Repent! You fool! Repent! 
You say, it's not nice to call your brother a fool. When you're sitting there in complacency and knowing that you're a carnal Christian, it's time to call you a fool. That's biblically justified. Repent. You know, I'm, I'm memorizing Hebrews 10. And I hope my son's memorizing it too. And some of you are memorizing Hebrews 10. And what a wonderful chapter. Do you know what it says? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do you think that's talking about the Philistines? Do you think that's talking about the Mormons? That's talking about the saints that Paul was writing to. He said, the Lord shall judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Context is amazing, isn't it? The Lord shall judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Repent. Come to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. We ran through these last Sunday. We can't run through these enough. Because all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is delineated, is defined, described here for us in 17 works of the flesh that we want to remind ourselves as a church that we want to hate them and avoid them. We want to help each other stay out of these 17 things. This is why we're here right now. To get rid of these 17 things in our hearts, in our lips, and in our lives, and to put in our hearts and in our lips and in our lives the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's a choice. We can't sit around and relax and just wait for the Spirit of God to do His work. The Spirit of God expects us to walk in His Spirit. And as we walk, He will give us the energy and the strength and the ability to bear that fruit. This is not some fatalistic passage at all. Paul mentions walk in the Spirit in verse 16. He mentions walk in the Spirit in verse 25. He mentions crucifying in verse 24. These are choices that we make every day of our lives. Every day. There are things God hates. Do you hate them? If God hates them, you should put them to death. If God loves them, you should fill your life with them. Let's go. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. It's obvious that these things are the works of your ungodly flesh that Jesus Christ had to die to destroy your flesh. And you will leave it behind. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Four sex sins. Adultery is sexual sins involving married people. Fornication involving unmarried people. Uncleanness, a broader description of sexual sins that would include animals and any other thing that you can get yourselves into. Lasciviousness, unbridled lust, thinking, porno, romance novels, Movies, lasciviousness, just feeding your lusts and living a lust-filled life. Four things right there in that verse. There's a reason, young ladies, that we want you dressed modestly. Because we don't want any uncleanness or lasciviousness in our church. Some of you, anyway, will not even go there yesterday. What, for the most part, it was good. For the most part. But there were some other parts. We want to hate those four things. Young men, there's a reason why we don't have unchaperoned dating. Young ladies, there's a reason why we don't have it. Because God hates fornication. And do you know what we know? We know that when a boy and a girl are together, we know what they want to do. And we know what they want to do better than you know what they want to do. 
And so we don't allow that because we are trying to fight against the works of the flesh, which are manifestly visible and evident to all of us. And God makes it clear right here. These are four things God hates. And we are trying to protect you from them. And it was a blessing to have two virgins get married in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the way it ought to be done. Though That's two princes that God will bless. A prince and a princess. If you're not a virgin, you're a dog. Unless you've repented because it's a sin and it's hateful in the sight of God. You say, that's not, you're crazy. I am crazy to the world. That's why Paul said that I am crucified into the world and the world is crucified into me. The world hates me and wants me to, wants to put me to death and I hate the world and I want to put them to death. You know, we're thankful and we just prayed. We love the marriage bed as a church. We talk about it. We pray about it and we just did. But that's because we put two people into that bed that belong in that bed together. And then it's beautiful. Listen, God invented sex. Hollywood doesn't know anything about it. That's why they're so dysfunctional. That's why they've had to invent all sorts of helps and props and aids, whether it be chemical or whether it be media, to help them get it stimulated again because they can't handle it. Real sex, real love, real love making is found in the Song of Solomon. And it's made for two people that will walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. And every time you start walking after the flesh instead of the Spirit, your love life goes down at home. And you all know that that are married. We will preach the whole counsel of God and we'll rejoice in the whole counsel. That 19th verse, we are sticking together in this church to try to fight these visible, obvious, clearly the works of the flesh that involve sex sins. Verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Idolatry is anything to do with pagan religion. Witchcrafts, anything to do with the devil and spirits. Hatred is holding ill will or malice toward anyone in the church. Variance is being different because the Lord wants us to be of one heart and of one mind and of one mouth and of one judgment. Emulations are excessive competition to outdo anyone in anything. Wrath, holding hot anger against someone that's unjustifiable. Strife. Conflict, fight, bitterness, grudges between two people. Seditions, fighting against rightful authority that God has established. Whether that be the government in Washington or the government down on Main Street in Greenville, the government of a church, the government of a home, the government of a marriage, the government of a school, the government of a place of employment. Those are all God-established governors. And we are to submit to them. And we are not to go around speaking against them or acting against them. That's seditions, heresies. Holding false doctrine. False doctrine that has not been taught, agreed to by the church. Again, it comes back to variance. Heresy is to be put out of the church. We must guard against these things by being united in the doctrine that we hold. Here's a list of sins that are visible manifestations of the flesh. I went through them last Sunday and I don't have time today. But you know, as families, we need to stick together against anything that has to do with false religion. Anything that has to do with the devil and with spirits. I think we're in the month of October now. I think in 30 days, there is some holy day. You know where the word holiday came from, don't you? It's a holy day. 
called Halloween. All hallowed evening. The Roman Catholics took a night of devil worship in the British Isles and whitewashed it and gave it the name of All Hallowed Evening because November 1st is the New Year Day of the Druid calendar. And so that, it, that became the All Saints Day of the Catholic Church. And the night before it became All Hallowed Evening. The Catholics call it Halloween because it's the hallowed evening before All Saints Day. The Druids considered it New Year's Eve before New Year's Day. And they were devil worshippers. And that's where that holiday came from. And we don't have anything to do with devil worship. So we don't have anything to do with Halloween. We don't care what your neighbors do. We don't care what your school does. We don't care what's on television. And we don't care about the skeleton and the ghost at Walmart. We hate it all. Because God's told us to hate it. These are 17 things. I didn't make up this list. Do you know that? I didn't make up this list. God did. These are 17 things He wants us to hate. He wants us to get away from. And we as a church come together to help one another. To provoke to love and to good works. Because if any of us get spotted, get spotted by this, we lose, we start to lose our relationship with the Lord. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and, and touch not the unclean thing. Pure religion is to remain unspotted from the world. Amen. We don't want any of that in our homes. You know, there's two kinds of people. You already know what they are. Those that walk after the flesh and those that walk after the Spirit. Here's how they talk to the pastor about Halloween. The ones that walk after the flesh. Well, this isn't a very big thing to do with Halloween. You don't mind if our children do that, do you? They're walking after the flesh. Their whole mindset is how much can I get away with? How close can I get to a work of the flesh? Then the man in the Spirit says, thank you for preaching against Halloween. Oh, I'm so upset about that because it tries to creep in and I'm not going to let even one bit of it touch my children. I'm going to keep them away from it entirely. And the difference in those questions and that attitude is whether you're walking after the flesh or the Spirit. Because a man after the Spirit wants to hate everything to do with Halloween. There is nothing good, noble, or fun about it. Except in the flesh, not in the spirit. The spirit can't have fun playing with devils, goblins, witches, and the rest of that garbage. The spirit can't do it. And there's the list. I don't have time to preach it again. Did it last Sunday. But I hope that we'll examine our hearts. I hope that we'll go through that and say, do I have any hatred? Am I at variance with anyone? Am I at variance with the church? Am I, do I have wrath? Do I have hot anger against anyone? Do I have a, do I have a grudge going with anyone so that I'm guilty of strife? We need to ask. And if it's there, we need to crucify it. Do you know what it means to crucify it? It means to put it down on a wooden cross and nail it to that cross and kill it. Kill it! You know what the word crucify means? We're to crucify those lusts. We're going to run into that word and that expression in just a few verses. These are things we are to do. And it takes work. It is diligence. We are in a war. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 tells us that we are in a war against the lust that war against our soul. 
you have a part of you that is warring against your soul. And if you're honest, you know you've got a war. There's part of you that wants to do what's right, and there are less in your flesh that want to destroy that part that wants to do right. And you have this conflict. Well, take these things, these 17 things that your flesh wants to do, and crucify them. If you have a grudge, go settle it. Forgive the person. Blow it off. Get, it, get over it. Beg God to forgive you. Verse 21, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Envyings is to resent somebody for their advantage over you in anything. You should be happy someone is better than you, even if they're better at everything. Be happy for them. Thank the Lord for them. Commend them. Bless them. Why would you envy them? You know, when you envy someone, do you know who you're fretting against? You're fretting against God. God made that choice. When He made big, young, and tall, and made little brother short, God made that choice. Do I like the choice? I don't like it in my flesh. That's a secret, isn't it? It's no longer a secret. But it's okay in my spirit. The Lord sawed me off. He looked down and He said, that man's going to be bad enough. At 5'9", I'll just take a chainsaw and whack him off at the knees and we'll keep him humble for the rest of his life. And he's still working on fulfilling that in my life. And I'm not speaking foolishly. I'm telling the Lord makes all those choices for whatever reason He sees fit. And I can see reasons. Envy tears people up. We're going to run into it again in the last verse of this chapter. Envy. Envy is terrible. Envy will chase you to bed. Envy will go into your bedroom and will not let you sleep. You will lay in your bed, and while you are awake, you will be thinking how much you resent somebody else for their advantage over you. Young ladies, wait till I get to verse 26. I have it reserved for you, all you young ladies. I have it reserved for you, so you can get excited for the rest of this sermon, but I have something to say to you in a few minutes. If some boy in this church or some young man in this church shows attention to some other young lady, that should excite you that the Lord is causing there to be an interest between one of your brothers and one of your sisters. There should be no envy. There should not be your resentment that he's showing interest to someone else instead of to you. That is a hateful attitude. You will never survive in this world. You are going to be miserable as long as you live. And deservedly so. You should be thankful that a brother and sister of yours are showing an interest in each other. That's what I mean about envyings. Murders. You know, you look at that word murders and you say, how in the world could Paul write a Christian church and act like they could have trouble with murders? And I told you last Sunday... If you have unjustifiable anger in your heart toward a brother, you're guilty of the sixth commandment. Matthew 5, 21 through 26 teaches us that. Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause is guilty of the sixth commandment. We are all capable of murder in the sight of God. Drunkenness. We should only drink that blessing that God's given us and that we commend and endorse and protect. 
in this congregation to the point of the happy warmth that it gives us and the cheer that it gives us because that's what God made it for. It's to make glad the heart of man. It's not to make dumb the heart of man. It's to make it glad. It's to relax you enough to be thankful and happy. It's to relax you enough to forget some of the stresses and pressures of your day, but not to make you drunk or to cloud your mind to where you would make foolish decisions and it would be easier for you to sin. Revelings. You young people, we live in a foolish generation. All, all young people want to do is joke, jest, cackle, laugh, joke around. That's revelings. Want to have a party and goof off all the time. I'm trying to put it in language that you can understand. You don't have the word revelings on your spelling test at school, do you? So I'm telling you what revelings means. It means goofing off, partying, thinking that life's a big joke. And you know what? It's so empty. I know that every time you laugh, you see, I was once your age, and I've had about a hundred years since then to think about it. It's totally empty. You go home and you know that you didn't have a very satisfying day, even though you cackled your way through it. It doesn't satisfy. There's only one thing that satisfies a Christian. And that's the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the things of God, God Himself. That will satisfy. That's the greatest subject there is to think about. It's the greatest subject there is to talk about. Revelings. Partying. Eating. Gorging. Laughing. Goofing off. And such like. You know, when Paul says such like, as I told you last Sunday... If there's any other sin that you think made the cut and isn't in the list, he said anything else that looks like these, you can go ahead and add it on yourself. Any other sin. And I gave you, a, I just gave you a few to, to get your mind working, such as backbiting, disobedience to parents, lying, gluttony, purloining. Remember, what's purloining? I forgot. Small thefts at work. Purloining. Prognostication. Oh, what is that? Trying to foretell the future. Horoscopes. Fortune cookies. And the rest of that stuff. Trying to foretell the future. Prognostication. God hates it all. It was an abomination in His sight. Jesting. Heady. Answering again. Tailbearing. Foolish talking. All the things the New Testament lists as sins that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at the last part of that 21st verse. Of the which I tell you before. Of the which I tell you before. Of the which I tell you before. Remember the explanation that I gave you last Sunday? I tell you is in the present tense. He's not saying of the which I told you before. He says that next. He says of the which I tell you before. I tell you before you stand before Jesus Christ and we'll give an account for these 17 things. That's what that clause means. I tell you before. The next clause is that he had told them these things in the past, as I have also told you in time past. See, there's a comparison there. I've taught you all this before. This was a regular theme of Paul's preaching. But I'm telling you now, before, you're going to give an account for these things when the inheritance of Jesus Christ's kingdom is handed out. When the inheritance of Jesus Christ's kingdom is handed out, the people that do these things, Revelation 21 verse 8, tells me they're in the lake of fire. 
I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That kingdom that Abraham looked for, that heavenly country, that city that Abraham looked for, they'll not inherit. You say, well, God saved some carnal Christians like Lot. How do you know that you're a Lot? I haven't seen your name in Second Peter chapter 2. I looked for it because you do look like Lot. But I couldn't find your name there. And until you find your name in Second Peter 2, you're not Lot. Right. You're Cain. You're Balaam. There are a few other names over there. Those that do such things, if you can do these 17 things and be comfortable in them, if you can talk about them, think about them, stay in them, grovel in them, there's no sign or evidence of eternal life in you at all. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Those that are not under condemnation are those who walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. This is walking after the flesh. This is why we are here today. The Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven. I'm His ambassador to you. He hates these 17 things. We have come together to hate them together. To try to keep them out of each other's lives. So that we can do what's in the next couple of verses. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit. I want to stop right there. I fear, in the way that I've understood this verse, without thinking about it and studying it enough, and the way I've preached it at times, I fear that the emphasis has been on, let the Spirit do these things through you. And that is true as long as you put the emphasis on the right words of that sentence. But I want to make it a little easier. The word fruit here is not simply something the Spirit's going to do by Himself. The word fruit is evidence. It's to be set opposite of the works of the flesh. The evidence of the flesh, the works of the flesh, what the flesh chooses to do, what the flesh does do, are the 17 things we listed. Now we have nine things that the Spirit does and loves, but we are to do. And I want to emphasize the words choice and action. When we come to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it's not that we sit around and wait for the Lord to work these things through us. It's we choose to do these things just like we choose not to do the other 17 things. We cannot be fatalists about bearing the fruit of the Spirit. It's a choice to bear this fruit. He started off with walking in the Spirit, and in verse 25, He's going to go back to walking in the Spirit. And to walk in the Spirit is a choice to move forward. These are things we choose to do. When we find any of these nine things throughout the rest of the New Testament, they are not presented as something God does for us. They are presented as something we choose to do, and God enables us to do them. And it's a big... We cannot have a fatalistic church, even though we hate fatalism. We can end up being fatalists by hearing Galatians 5, 22 and 23... Oh, the, the Lord, the Lord's going to work these nine things out of me. He's not going to work them out of you if you're being disobedient and walking in the flesh. You're going to have to choose to walk in the Spirit. And if what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? It is not a mystical encounter with God. It is a choice. I hate those 17 things. I love these nine things because they are of the Spirit of God. And I am going to do them. And as you do them, the Spirit of God will enable you and empower you and strengthen you to do them and convict you to do them even more and more 
unto the perfect day. There's a war in every single one of you. There is no one in here that can say that those 17 things are not an attraction to you. The only way that you can say they're not an attraction to you is because you misunderstand them or you are a self-righteous liar. Those 17 things are in every one of our hearts. But we have a new man that has those nine things in them. And we, we have a conflict. And you can win that conflict by the help of God in choosing to walk in the Spirit. And the reason we're here for a few minutes to hear me yell at you is because we've got to hate the 17 and love the nine. We've got to choose the nine and choose not to do the 17. We need to cut off every avenue that the 17 have into our lives. Whether it's music, like we were exhorted to take, pay attention to. Whether it's reading, television, movies, friends, schooling options, everything you do. Are they, do they pertain to those 17? Are they letting those 17 have inroads into your life? Or are they building the nine? And we may keep making choices to exalt the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. We do it. God will bless the effort. God will empower you to do it even better. And the more you do it, you do it better. I hate to, I'm not good at illustrations. In fact, I don't like them. I just want the pure Word of God. But it's like a turbocharger. A turbocharger can't work on any engine until the engine is running. It boosts the engine. Engines run on air. No, they don't run on gas. Are you out of your mind? It'd blow up if it ran on gas. Engines run on air. The gasoline is simply there to heat the air, cause it to expand and make that piston go up and turn your crankshaft and run your car. A turbocharger packs more air into those cylinders so that there's more air to heat up. It doesn't pack more gas in. You pack more gas in, boom! Cars don't run on gas. They run on air. Oh, yes. Your air filter is very important. Go stick a hanky in front of it and try to drive home. But a turbocharger works by getting the engine running. And when it reaches a certain point, the turbocharger kicks in and starts jamming extra air into that engine. I'm sorry, I hate my illustrations. Oh, Sherry already knows what she's going to have to listen to tonight in bed. Why did I say anything about a turbocharger? But it doesn't run until the engine reaches a certain RPM. And the Lord, the Lord is not going to give you strength for something that you don't really want to do. Right. If you really want to be in the flesh, He's going to let you wallow in it, and then He's going to spank you for it. And when He spanks you, the Bible says, it is a fearful thing when the Lord spanks you. Amen. Hebrews 10.31 My whole point of that illustration was, as you obey in doing those nine things, the Lord packs more of it into you by His Spirit. You say, I've never, I've never felt the boost. See, a turbocharger is wonderful. It really is. You know, when you hit two or 3,000 RPMs, wherever it is set, you feel like somebody from above just got a hold of your car and is slinging it down the road when that thing kicks in. Right. It's an incredible boost. You say, I've never felt that boost from the Lord, and I know why. And I'm going to tell you right now, you've never tried to walk in the Spirit. You've just lived kind of a fatalistic existence as a Christian. You come, you sit, you warm some foam rubber, you go home. If you were to get on your knees and tell God this afternoon, I hate those 17 things, I want to do those nine things, two of the things in the list of 17, Lord, I'm giving to you right now, I'm going to go make this change in my life and this change to get those two out of my life, and I need number four in the list of nine 
that the pastor preached today. I need that more in my life because I've been cheating on that one and I'm going to go do that better. This afternoon, I'm going to make the, I'm going to go make the changes necessary to do that one better. If you were to get serious like that, you would find joy and peace and strength in the doing of those things. Amen. You haven't got serious enough to truly repent for the, the list of 17 and to do the list of nine. The Lord's not a liar. He will bless those that delight in Him. He will bless the righteous. He will bless the obedient. He will give them strength. He will favor their cause. His face will shine upon them. He will hear their prayers. And the whole Bible is addressed to the righteous when it's talking about blessings. But the fruit of the Spirit. But we have a big contrast here. The 17 things of verses 19 through 21 are the flesh that we are to hate. The world loves those things. The more you let the world talk to you, the more you read about the world, the more worlds you watch in the television, they love those 17 things. You say, they don't love murder. Oh, yes, they do. They love hatred, bitterness, grudge, anger without a cause, calling people names unjustifiably. They absolutely do love murder. That's why they protect murderers. Why don't they take them right out in the public square and blow their brains out? Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. That love is not a fuzzy feeling. That love is not circumstances. That love is not someone smiling at you. That love is the love of the New Testament. and That love is forgiving other people their offenses against you. That love is not easily provoked. That love thinketh no evil. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, jammed into one word here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And you choose to walk in the Spirit by saying, instead of the hatred of the works of the flesh, I'm going to choose love. That person irritates me, but from now on I'm going to forgive them. From now on I'm going to forget it. From now on, I don't care. They can't touch me. Because I'm going to choose to love them. Jesus said that love meant when I get smit, when I'm smit on one, when I, when someone smites me on one cheek, I turn to him the other. I'm going to do that. When they come and take away my coat, I'll give them a cloak. If they want me to do something like drive a mile, I'll drive two miles. We've already had an example this morning of driving a few miles. And it wasn't one or two. But it was done cheerfully. And it had been done the night before all the way to Asheville, which is a bad enough drive by itself. Love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Are you loving your spouse the way you promised to love your spouse? That's about this high. Are you loving your spouse the way God told you to love your spouse? That's about this high. The Bible defines love. Now you're getting the picture, aren't you? Now you've figured out why you're not really getting the boost of God's turbocharger and I mean this with all due reverence, God's Holy Spirit in your life and the boost that He gives and the strength He gives to live a holy and a righteous life because you've never chosen to measure yourself by God's standard. God said this is how you're to love your husband. This is how you're to submit to your husband. This is how you're to love your wife. If you're doing this, the Lord's doing that. If you're going to give Him your leftovers, He'll give you His leftovers. 
He does not owe you a blessing when you're living foolishly and wickedly against His Word. That's what it means by love. And you know that we could take that little word there and we could preach on it for hours. Love. What's the happiest marriage? I mean, ultimate. Utopia on earth. Karl Marx never got any of it. He was an idiot. Insane. Crazy. His methods have never worked for anyone. What's real utopia? What is Eden? What is paradise? It's when people love each other. And they love each other as defined by the Bible. Two spiritual people that love the Lord Jesus Christ and love each other will have the fruit of the Spirit, will have, will have chosen and will have God's blessing to have real love. They will forgive. They will overlook. They will be compassionate. They will be tender. You know, right now, Chris and Sarah are making adjustments. You know, all you people that haven't been married, all you young people that haven't been married, you don't know anything about marriage. You don't know anything what it's like. You know, you see some guy smile at you and you think that marriage is just 50 years of a guy smiling at me and giving me those butterflies in my stomach. No, sorry. Sorry. In fact, it's not even close. It's not even close to that. Marriage is one big set of adjustments. It's one big long chain of adjustments. Chris and Sarah, my family already prayed early this morning. Chris and Sarah are running through their first day of adjustments. And you know what? When you have chosen to love and the Holy Spirit is giving you a blessing, you can adjust. Because all of a sudden they're discovering things about each other that they did not know. They did not know. I mean, I don't care how, I don't care where you want to go to think about it, but they are both discovering that they did not know that another person's breath could be that bad. <laughs> Let's just pick one thing. They did not know that. They may not have known it. Maybe they did. Maybe they practiced on each other to get ready. All these little things. One of them jumps up and says, What a beautiful day! Let's have breakfast together. The other one says, I thought we were going to stay in bed all day. And all of a sudden you have this conf- oh, this is not all you young people, this is marriage right now. This is marriage 101. And you know what? It goes the rest of your life. Every new thing you encounter, one person likes it, another person, the other person doesn't like it as much. Once in a while you stumble onto something that you both love equally. Unless, unless you're walking in the Spirit, then you both adjust and modify what you love so that you end up loving a lot of things together. Because it's a choice. Love. You know, we could go forever. It's a choice to love other people. It's a choice to love your spouse, love your parents, love your children, love your neighbor, love your brothers and sisters in this church. Joy. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. See, joy is not an option. Joy is not a force. Joy is not something God does for you. Joy is not a function of circumstances. Money does not make people happy. The people that are rich are not any happier than the poor. The poor think the rich are happy because the poor are coveting what the rich have. That's just because the poor don't know how to think, except they want more. They're greedy. They want more. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. Joy does not depend on what you have in the bank. Joy does not depend on how big your house is. Joy is a commandment. We don't wait for joy to happen. We make joy happen. Because happiness is a choice. If you're not happy today, it's because you've chosen to be sad for some reason. It's probably that the rest of us haven't loved you enough this morning. That's probably it. 
Or your wife didn't love you enough this morning. But joy is a choice. Or your husband didn't love you enough. Happiness is a choice. It is Nowhere in the Bible is it taught as a set of circumstances. It's a choice. That's why the Bible says, Rejoice evermore. 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Philippians chapter 4. It's a choice. This is the life of a Christian right here. Hating 17 things, choosing 9 other things. I'm going to choose to be happy. I'm going to choose to be joyful. And you know what? As you choose to be joyful, as you put the Lord first in your life, He fills you with joy because the fullness of joy is at the right hand of God. Only He can give true joy. Love, joy, peace. You choose to be a peacemaker. You choose to live at peace with all men. Peace is not something that happens to you. Peace is something you make happen. This is not your peace between you and God. This is your peace between you and others. This is, this is walking after the Spirit instead of after the flesh. Peace. You choose to be a peacemaker. I am not going to have strife, division, discord, anger, grudge, bitterness with anyone. I'm going to live at peace. Long-suffering. You put up with the pain and irritation of other people hurting you. Long-suffering. It's a choice. As you do it, the Lord will bless you to do it more and more until you can laugh off anything that anyone does to you. If you have sensitive skin and you're a little prickly and anytime anybody says anything to you that just rubs your fur a little bit and you start growling at them, you got a problem. You're walking after the flesh. We already encountered you in the list of 17. In the list of nine, you're long-suffering. You'll put up with anything. You'll put up with it for a long time. And only a Peter in the flesh would say, how long, Lord? Seven? And the Lord would say, no, 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Peter, I've forgiven you 10,000 talents. How can you get upset at someone who owes you 100 pence? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Harshness is not a manly virtue. Harshness just shows a little weakling that can't rule his spirit. A man that deals harshly, speaks harshly, is a little girl that hasn't learned to rule his spirit. A gentleman, that's why he's called a gentleman. You know, in societies that distinguish between the spheres of society, there were men called gentlemen because they knew how to act. Harsh men could never be gentlemen unless they got posted into a position contrary to the rules of what it meant to be a gentleman. A gentleman is a man that is gentle and knows how to treat other people. Gentleness was a character trait of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the most glorious king. He is the blessed and only potentate. He's the prince of the kings of the earth. He rules heaven and earth with a rod of iron. But he is gentleness personified. Until he is wronged by his enemies and he has given them adequate warning so that they are without excuse, then he comes down in crushing force. But when he's dealing ordinarily with this world, I tell you to look at those windows on the eastern side of this sanctuary and see that sun shining. He is gentle to the, to the just and the unjust and to his enemies. Gentleness. Goodness. Goodness. You know, the Bible tells us that in the perilous times of the last days, men would be haters of those that are good. Good is doing what is right. Good is doing what is righteous. Good is doing what is called for by God in any situation. Goodness. 
If you're not good, you are bad. If you're not good, you are evil. Goodness. A man that thinks good, speaks good, and is good. Faith. The ability to trust God and believe Him no matter what circumstances come your way. Real faith is tested in adversity. Faith is not tested or built in prosperity. Faith is built and tested in adversity. If everything's going well for you right now, your faith is probably on the decline. I would suggest that you get your faith back in order for when something bad happens. Because the Lord's going to try your faith because the only way He can make it better is to bring some negative circumstances into your life to see if you will trust and love Him when it's not so rosy. Could I have more patience? A man once asked in this church, and there's only one way to build patience and faith, and it's to bring adversity. Meekness. Wanting the back seat. Never wanting to be forward. Willing to do everything invisibly if you can. Out of sight. You don't want to be talked about. You don't want to be praised or commended. You're meek. You're like Moses. Didn't want the job, and as long as he had the job, he was uncomfortable in the job. He would rather have sat and let someone else do the job. He was meek, but he did what God told him to do. Temperance. Ruling of your spirit. Ruling of your flesh. Temperance is self-discipline. Get up at the right time. Go to bed at the right time. Eat the right amount. Say the right thing. Speak the right way. Temperance. Ruling yourself. You know, here's a list of things we choose to do. This is walking after the Spirit. Walking after the Spirit is not mystical. It's not us getting baptized again to see if we'll come out of the water and get baptized with the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues, and then we can walk in the Spirit the rest of our lives. There's a whole bunch of them out there. There's a whole bunch of those churches you can go to in this county. The real walking in the Spirit is choosing to do those nine things. To walk after the flesh is to choose to do the other 17. And you can make the choice. And you will make the choice. You'll make it today. You're making it right now. Verse 23 ends by saying, Against such there is no law. Paul's been preaching against things. And he says there's no law against these things. You can do as much of these or as many of these as you want to. Verse 24, And they that are Christ's, Remember, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And they that are Christ, here are the true elect of God. These are the ones that God has given to Jesus Christ. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Those 17 things, the desire for them, the talking about them, the thinking about them, and the doing of them, they have put them to death. True Christians are new creatures. If any man be in Christ, isn't that what it says? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away. All things are become new. We get rid of the 17. We take on the 9. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Paul has told the Galatians throughout these chapters so far, You know, you got the Spirit by hearing my gospel. You did not get the Spirit in your lives by those Judaizers that came out of Jerusalem. This is chapter 3, verses 2 and 5. You got the Holy Spirit by...
by hearing my gospel, by obeying that gospel and being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave you His Spirit. You were first of all born again by the Spirit, and then God gave you His Spirit as His presence. If we live in the Spirit, if we have the Spirit of God, if we're living in Him, if He's made us alive by regeneration, let's also walk in Him. That's twenty verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's Paul's command to the Galatians and to us. Verse 26. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Here Paul jumps back to the subject of brotherly love. We had it in verses 13 through 15. Do you remember from last Sunday? As soon as this apostle, who was so worked up against those heretics coming out of Jerusalem, as soon as he was done crushing them by various forms of argument all the way through four chapters and half of chapter 5, as soon as he reaches the end of his doctrinal rebuke of that church, he immediately jumps to the most important thing in every New Testament church, loving one another. Remember verses 13 through 15? For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. One another means each one of you should be serving every other one in this church. Every one of you should be thinking of what can I do for every other one in this church. That's what the combination of one another means. It is not corporate action. It's individual action of one to another, which is another individual. And that is why I talk about the numbers in our church as our church grows. It increases our duties for each person to take care of a larger number of other individual persons. And throughout the New Testament, we have exhortations about one another duties. And there it is in verse 13. As soon as the apostle leaves doctrine to get practical, it goes to love. Verse 14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 15, but if ye bite and devour one another, one another, but if ye bite and devour one another, if you criticize any person in this church, we know where you're going, and we know what spirit's motivating you. Take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. A house divided against itself can't stand, a nation, a kingdom, and a church can't stand. And we can't bite or devour one another. Paul went after love. And here in this last verse, he goes after it again. As soon as he contrasts the flesh and the spirit, shows the 17 works of the flesh, shows the nine aspects of the fruit of the spirit, he comes right back to it again. The emphasis of the New Testament, the greatest grace, the greatest evidence, the greatest commandment, the greatest duty, the greatest thing to build our church is loving one another. Every individual member loving every other individual member. Verse 26, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Young ladies, I told you, I wanted you to hear this last verse. There's an expression that men use to talk about you girls and women, that they're catty. Have you ever been asleep in your bed at night and you've heard two cats set into each other? They're whining and howling like you wouldn't believe. 
Have you ever heard that noise? Well, that's how women get along. The whole world knows that. If you ever work in an office place, you know, a wise woman knows that she'd rather report to a man because it's going to work out a whole lot better. Uh, that's how women get along. It's, it's been understood. They're supposed to be at home, for the most part, taking care of things there. And if they're going to work, they should have some duty where they're not interacting with a whole lot of other women because it's going to get catty. And if you've ever heard two cats sitting at each other outside your bedroom window at night, you know exactly what the word means. I'm trying to help you understand the word. Young ladies... As you come through your teenage years, and there are a number of teenage boys and young men in our church, you're going to have a chance to practice this verse, or you're going to have a chance to be catty. It says, let us not be desirous of vainglory. None of you should ever be putting yourself forward as something special or important. None of you are God's gift to mankind. Don't put yourself forward that way. Let us not be desirous of vainglory. That's ever looking for glory ourselves. The Bible says, let another man's mouth praise thee and not thine own. The best praise you can ever get is from someone else. Don't put yourself forward. Take the back seat. If you'll take the back seat and trust the Lord and not desire vainglory, the princes in this church or the princes that God will send this church will choose you over the other girls. Because a real prince can't stand a girl that puts herself forward. Let us not be desirous of vain glory. Don't go push yourself at the guys. You just be a virtuous young lady and the guys are going to be coming after you and they're going to be coming after your father. Let us not be desirous of vain glory. Let us not be desirous of provoking one another. I have spoken this to you in private, and since that hasn't always worked, I'm doing it in public now. Let us not provoke one another. If some guy shows you some attention, if he writes you a note, if he gives you a gift, or you have one of our chaperone dates in this church, there is no reason to tell any other girl about that. You are so full of hate and pride when you tell anyone else about that. That is provoking one another. Why in the world would you do that? If, if you had a, a, a show of favor like that from a young man, let someone else discover it. Don't you ever go hold that over anyone. Don't you ever talk about that in public. Why are you talking about it? Because you're seeking vainglory for yourself. And because you enjoy provoking other people because you're so arrogant and insensitive toward the feelings of others. And any wise young man, as soon as he can smell that, he knows what the rest of his life is going to be like. It's going to be having a wife that wants to put herself forward and provoke in the home, and he's not going to want to get near you. And I'm going to help him figure that out, because I can smell it before most of them. And i got a whole lot of brothers in here that can smell it pretty fast, too. We've all been married. Galatians 5.26, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. If you did not get the show of favor, if you did not get the attention from a young man, don't you envy the girl that did. Be thankful for the girl that did. I've already said this today, but I'm saying it again. Be thankful. Praise that person. Tell the Lord, thank you, Lord, that one of my brothers and one of my sisters are showing an interest in each other. I've said that already. 
Let us not be desirous of vain glory. Young ladies, it is a meek and quiet spirit that is beautiful in the sight of God and beautiful in the sight of all men. God hates a girl that puts herself forward and thinks she's something special, and so do men, and you will never be happy because no one is ever going to give you the glory and the attention that you think you're worthy of, so you lose on all three counts. God can't stand you, men can't stand you, and you're not happy. Don't envy others. Be thankful. Don't whine about it. Don't complain about it. All it is is jealousy. If you whine about some other girl getting attention, it's because you're a jealous little baby. Because if some girl is provoking you, or if some girl is seeking vain glory, you should overlook that and ignore it. If you can't overlook it and ignore it, your skin's too thin. You're a baby. You're jealous for something you shouldn't be jealous for. Be thankful that that girl is getting some attention. We, we, we at every age group in this church have to love one another, overlook one another, and be long-suffering toward one another. And among our young people, we have to have that. We cannot have cliques. We cannot have anyone being hurt in our church. That is against the law of heaven. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Young men, do you think you just escaped that noose and that thrashing? Are you capable of doing the same thing? Every one of you young men, don't seek for vain glory. Don't talk about yourself all the time. Don't put yourself up as someone important. Don't dress, walk, and strut like you're something important. Any father in here that sees a, man, a guy strutting, he knows he's in love with himself. Do you know why? Because we're 50, 60, 70, we know that you're in love with yourself. We're never going to let a guy that's in love with himself touch our daughters. Because we know she's never going to be loved because he's not going to have enough left over for her. Young men, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. The whole church, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's not seek any glory that's vain. Any glory that you seek is vain. If the Lord gives you glory, it's not vain. If other men give you glory in a sincere statement of praise and commendation, it's not vain. But if you're seeking it, it's vain. Let's not provoke one another in any way except to love and to good works. Let's provoke one another to these nine things. You know, if you're provoking people to these nine things, you won't have to worry about verse 26. You won't be guilty of it. Let's not envy one another. Let's be thankful for the blessings that the Lord sends others. Listen, you don't have to be alive at this moment, and you don't have to be on your way to heaven. You could be dead or in hell. The Lord owes you nothing. And He's given everyone in here many things. There's no reason to envy another. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.